Good to be back with you. I hope uh, hope y'all are doing well. We've had a great week. Uh, it's been a, a busy week for me. I've um, spent uh, several days up in uh, the library, sequestered in the library at Southeastern Baptist Seminary, finishing my doctoral uh, project, and so uh, that was fun. Then I officiated a wedding, and so uh, I've been in the car an awful lot, and so just to be to sleep in my own bed has been a lot of fun uh, these last couple nights. So. Uh, but it is good to be back with you. We've got uh, got four Sundays left with y'all, uh, including today. And so um, I kind of feel like it's almost like, and I've never experienced this because I'm, I'm not a parent, but almost like when, when you're, you're, uh, your kid's about to either go off to college or about to get married, and, and you're like, okay, all these things that I said I had plenty of time to tell them, I'm running out of that plenty of time, and so uh, I've got things I need to say, and uh, and, and so that, that's kind of how I feel. And not that I'm sending y'all off to college or I'm sending y'all off to get married, although y'all are kind of getting married, which is kind of cool. So um, we're going to um, we're spend some time together uh, in the book of Philemon. Just do me a favor. Say it with me. Philemon. One more time. Like with gusto. Philemon. Okay, very good. Uh, I, I had, had, uh, had a conversation with someone yesterday who said that they thought it was Philemon. And I'm like, it's not Philemon, Becky. It's... It's not Philemon. <laughs> if you have your copy of uh, God's Word, we're going to be in Philemon. Uh, uh, it's only one chapter. It's only one chapter. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philemon, um, <laughs> chapter one, I guess. It's also chapter two, three, four, five, six, and, and, and going up. It's only one chapter. Uh, it's in the New Testament. And you're like, Philemon, is that, I thought that was like some kind of mint that you could, that you, you could, you could like, like a breath mint or something. No, um, it, is a, it, is an, it is an actual book of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the Pauline epistles. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to spend some time in that because y'all are in a place now where um, where we've spent the last ten months trying to to prepare y'all for receiving your new pastor. There was a time when you didn't know what his name was, and you were praying for this abstract figure uh, who was going to be coming in. And and while you were doing it, you were praying for the church for help and for unity and for uh, clarity of mission. And you were praying for the pastor search team and you were praying for this pastor. Uh, then you, you all of a sudden you got a name, right? His name is Pastor Stewart. And you began praying for his family and all that. And, and, and we've still been working over this last these last 10 months to prepare you for your pastor to get here. So there doesn't have to be a lot of remediation. Uh, it's just a lot of, um, uh, it's just kind of, kind of preparing the church to be ready and to be excited uh, to be on mission. Uh, and now... Uh, now we're kind of in this place where we're getting into the nitty gritty. And that's what this, this, this letter is about. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the letter today. So it's, it's, it's three-week series, okay? Uh, so we're going to spend this week, next two weeks, uh, looking at the book of Philemon together. And as we do, um, we're going to be seeing some recurring themes, some things you've heard me address uh, in, in previous sermons. But, but the idea is, is that, that when Pastor Stewart gets here and he stands behind this stage and you will begin, it's not just like on the one off when he comes to preach a trial sermon and he's nervous because he's trying to get a job and y'all are nervous because you're like, you're like, man, I hope he does well enough that I can vote yes and all that, which clearly he did uh, for the overwhelming percentage that you brought him in on. And so, so he, when he's here and that tension and that nervousness, when all of that's gone and, and he's just here and, and you, you get to know every time you come to church that you're going to see him behind the pulpit, that there needs to be this, this preparation on the church body uh, to to not only be ready for the mission that is that is the church is undertaking and will undertake, but also for the uh, the church to be spiritually and emotionally uh, ready to um, uh, so that 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 Satan can't really get a foothold in this place because y'all know that right Satan wants in 
Like Satan wants you. He, he wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be uh, divided. He wants you, he, he wants this root of bitterness to, to weave throughout the church so that when you step in and you want to do ministry, that you are so disjointed and disfellowshipped that, that you really just can't do anything. You, be, you become distracted and, and, and nothing gets done. Like that's Satan's desire. Like Satan, I think the end game is Satan wants the doors to this place to close. Um, but in the meantime, he wants the doors to remain open and you guys should not be effective at all at sharing the gospel. So over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into some concepts, ways that, that we see in this letter that Paul writes to Philemon. Um, we're going to see some ways that, that the church can be distracted from being on mission. And so I want us to talk about that. And then it, it's, look, it's going to require y'all to actually do stuff. Like, like it's, it's fine to hear the sermon and just go, go, man, it's a really great sermon. Bye. Like that's going to be kind of the temptation uh, because this is going to be rather than just like this abstract sermon about heaven or about the Great Commission or, you know, about, about some type of doctrine or theology like we've done over the last several months. This is going to require you to move. It's going to require you to do something. And so as we look at that together, um, I want you to be ready for that and be sensitive to that. Um, I want to start off with, with a story about my growing up years, which I start most of my sermons off that way. Um, but it's just a way for me to kind of show you as I've filtered this passage through the lens of the Holy Spirit and what God wants. I also see dumb stuff I've done in my life, and it's strangely applicable to this. And so I don't want my suffering to be in vain, so I share it with you. Um, when I was a kid, I, I know you may not believe this, I was an athlete growing up. Uh, I loved sports. I loved playing sports. I loved, uh, I played everything. I played football. I played basketball. I played baseball. I swam. Um, I was totally down being on the swim team until they handed me the Speedo. And I go, I, don't, I think I've only got one season of this in me. I don't know that I, that I want to just like go around in a Speedo. You don't want that. Nobody else wants it. Um, but I played all kinds of sports growing up. Wound up settling in and playing golf and um, and just had a, had a blast doing that. But but when I was a kid, I loved to play baseball. And I remember when I, when I was when I was about um, maybe 12 or 13, uh, I, was, uh, I was taking off. I actually stole a base, okay? Um, and I took off and I slid into second. And when I slid into second, my cleat, see, I'm, I, I played in Orange Park and, um, and Orange Park Athletic Association, their bases were a little janky uh, and, and, and kind of lifted up a little bit. And my cleat got stuck underneath the, uh, the base and it actually pulled my leg over and I actually wound up breaking uh, my uh, my pinky toe um, uh, on my right foot and my, and is that a ring toe? Is it a ring toe? Like it's a ring, like ring toe. Okay. And, uh, and, and so it created, so I, I was like, oh man, this hurts, you know, but I didn't take my cleat off because I was a boy. I wasn't going to admit that I was hurt. And so when I got home, I limped around a little bit and then I got home. Now I'm 40 and I just limp because it's Tuesday. And so, uh, so, so, I, uh, so I got home and I'm limping. My parents are like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I go to my room. I peel my sock off and my, and my foot looked like Spock. And, and so I was thinking, well, that's not good. But like, I was like, no, wait a minute. Now, I've already told you in previous sermons that I am deathly afraid of needles. I was afraid if we went to the hospital, they were going to want to give me a shot. And we weren't doing that. Spock toe for the rest of my life is what it was going to be. 
And so I just accepted it and then moved on. And then over time, it began to hurt more, turned three shades of purple and black. I'm like, okay, well, now they may fall off. All right, so now we, we need to probably do something about this. So I told my parents, my mom my mom was a nurse. She yelled at me, uh, not yelled at me, but just told me she was disappointed, which is bad enough. And, uh, and, and said, said, okay, we're going to go to the doctor. And so we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, says, <laughs> He says, um, he says, we're going to need to reset the bones. And I go, you've got to be joking. And I said, does that involve needles in any way, shape, or form? And he goes, no. And I said, oh, well, game on. So I had no idea what it meant. He was going to have to re-break my toes so that I wouldn't have spot toe anymore. <laughs> and so he re-broke them. And then he kind of like, like splinted them together. And so now I was like weirdly off-centered spot toad. And, 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 and I, I said, I said why, why do we have to re-break them? They're already broken. He says, no. He said, if you would have come to me the day it happened, we could have fixed this. He said, however, you decided to wait. And so now the, the, the bones began to grow back, but they, they, they began to grow back incorrectly. Why is spot toe such a thing for you? Like, why, why did I share that uh, with you today? Well, let me tell you why. The bone began to heal but it began to heal incorrectly. When we're hurt, when there's trauma in our life, a relationship ends, you lose a job, somebody yells at you, somebody gossips about you, um, whatever it happens to be, I think there's a natural defense mechanism that we try to pretend like it doesn't bother us. I'm a boy, at least that's how boys do it. Like we're, we're like, no, this doesn't bother us. And we, we kind of push it down and we sort of repress it. And then if we get it down far enough and we stack up enough stuff on top of it, and that is, you know, whether we immerse ourselves in our work, we get involved in a sport, we, uh, we may be covered up with, with just getting drunk or getting high or whatever it happens to be, something that will make us forget the pain. We think, oh, this is, this is fixed. But all we've done is we've allowed it to heal incorrectly, and it never functions. Our, our, our emotions and our psyche never functions the same way again. This story is much like that. And so we're going to read it together. We're going to read the story here in, in just, a, just a moment. But I want to tell you the story. The story is about a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a, was a slave. We're going to get into that in a moment. Um, he was a slave of a... Of, of a, of a um, uh, a landowner whose name was Philemon. Now, Philemon, um, and if you ever read the introduction to Paul's introduction to Colossians and his introduction to Philemon, they're very similar because um, the, the Colossian church met in Philemon's home. Okay, and so many, there's many similarities. Matter of fact, when you see commentaries on Colossians, you'll also see, usually see one on Philemon because they're very similar. And so, um, and so, Paul is in this prison, in this Roman prison, and this, uh, this dude named Onesimus, who was a, uh, who was a slave, he winds up uh, getting away from his slave owner, and he runs. He tries to get away from Colossae, which is in kind of modern-day Turkey, and he makes it all the way to Rome, where, he's, where he does something, somehow or another, gets put into a Roman jail, and his cellmate is none other than Paul from Tarsus. And what does Paul do? If you are living and breathing and are conscious, Paul is going to share the gospel with you. And so he shares the gospel with, with Onesimus. Onesimus is radically saved. 
And every saving, every, every conversion of a soul is radical, right? And so, so then, so in the jail, Paul begins to disciple Onesimus and Onesimus, you know, and, and we don't see the, the, the conversation chronicle, but I imagine it went something kind of like this. Oh, where are you from? Well, I'm from Colossae. Oh, you're from Colossae. I know this guy named Philemon. I planted a church in his home uh, and, and, and all that. And he goes, oh, Philemon, I know Philemon. He used to, you know, he, I, he's actually my slave owner. And from there, the conversation went on. And what Paul is going to do, Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon to try to reconcile because Onesimus wronged Philemon by, by what was believed to be stealing some stuff and then going back um, and, and then using what he stole to pay for his journey to, to get away. All right, now, understand what, what slavery... Our, our lens in, 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 the, in 21st century America, we filtered the idea of slavery as what we understood 19th century slavery in the South to look like, okay? Um, where you had, uh, had Africans that came over on slave ships, they were purchased by white plantation owners, and then were forced to work under arduous conditions uh, and until, you, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, Civil War, all the things that happened um, leading up to the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. And that's kind of where our mind goes. That's not what slavery in the first century looked like. Slavery in the first century was indentured servanthood. So let's think about it this way. I desperately want, this is not true, but it's a great illustration. Um, I desperately want to go to the, the Taylor Swift um, concert that, you know, the uh, Eras tour that's going on. Uh, you know how someone has gone to the Taylor Swift tour? Because they put it on social media, okay? All right, so many of my friends, like went to Tampa, I think, and saw her and, and, and all that, and they wore the boots and the hats and all that kind of stuff. Um, the tickets are like $10,000, right, for a ticket. All right, so imagine I pay $10,000. I want to I go so bad. And, and somebody says, okay, Patrick, I'm going to pay for you to go to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. You will be indebted to me, okay? Hey, I love it. Thank you so much. I can't wait. I uh, sing the Romeo and Juliet song and all that. I can't wait. All right, and so, and so I go. When I come back, I, in, in the way first century slavery worked, I am now indebted to the person that bought my ticket to Taylor Swift. Okay, now I can go to their home and I can work off that $10,000. Okay, and then, and then we say, this is how much you're going to earn every day or every week. And then over this amount of time, if you, if you do what you're told uh, and, you, and you do what, what's required of you, you can pay that mortgage off and then you can go back to your life. Okay, so Onesimus somehow became indebted to Philemon uh, and then rather than paying it off, decided he was, he was tired working for the man and so he, he just turned and ran. So Paul is saying, look, you're still indebted to this guy. All right, you can't just decide you're not going to do it anymore. Um, you're, you're, now no, you're now no longer an unbeliever. You're a believer now. You need to be reconciled to Philemon. And so, so Onesimus says, let me tell you what I'm not doing. I am not going to go back to my slave owner uh, and, uh, and just say, hey, I'm sorry. I don't know how that's going to end up for me. And so Paul offers to send with him a letter. And when he sends that letter, that is what we understand to be the epistle to Philemon. All right. I've caught you up. All right, so now uh, Paul is going to model for us what reconciliation looks like. So, it, so even if we as believers, even if we have wronged one another, the Bible tells us that we should be reconciled to one another. That, that there should be no, as Hebrews 12 says, there should be no root of bitterness that springs up against us. Now, you see where I'm going, don't you? Some of you have either hurt one another, you've been hurt by one another, and at the end... God is going to call you to, to do whatever is necessary to be reconciled to one another. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what that means and what that doesn't mean. 
But when we get hurt, many times our response is to bury it, to not think about it, to never address it again. We say, I'm I'm just not going to allow that person to hurt me, and it festers. The beauty is, is that if you look around, there's a great crowd here today. You look around, everybody in this room at some point has been hurt. Everybody. And for us, in the brokenness of our lives... Some of us have allowed that hurt to, like my toes, to heal unevenly. And so sometimes we have to re-break them so that, that God may heal us the way he intended from the beginning. We need a reset. And that's what this series is about. Today's big idea is this, is that whether we're speaking of relationships with our Lord or our relationships with one another, the Lord desires for us to be reconciled. And for the believer, reconciliation reflects a gospel that's true purpose is reconciliation. So let's read together. And I'm going to audible. Uh, I was just going to read the first seven verses, which is our focal passage. I'm going to read the whole thing today, Uh, read the whole letter. And I'm going to do that every week. I'm going to read the whole letter at the beginning of every week in case you come in late or whatever. Because I want you to understand the full context. But we're going to spend our time in the first seven verses today. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church... In your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, that sounds all well and good. I feel like Paul's just giving them the, the molasses first because the vinegar's on its way. Um, he says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in, in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, underline this, this um, uh, verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Next week, we're going to see why that's so important. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever, not no, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. And how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, you think Paul doesn't know that there's been some wronging there? You think that, I mean, you see what Paul's doing here. He says, if he, if he owes you anything, he says, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping um, that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. All right, then he, he goes through his final greetings, okay? And he's talking about people that say hello and whatnot. Uh, and so let's, let's, let's go through this together. Um, understanding all of this, there are some things that, that we need to see. So Paul is the author. Timothy is with him. And we see that um, uh, both in the beginning of Colossians and in the beginning of Philemon. Um, you have Philemon, who's, who is uh, uh, the, the homeowner. You have Aphia, who is his wife. Uh, you have Archibus, who's most likely, a commentator says, most likely their son. Um, and so this was directed to a family, but not only a blood family. Because this was not, this, it's not like this is a confidential letter that is only going to be read to Philemon. This is, this is something that's going to be read to the entire church. So here's the entire church who knows the story, by the way. You think they don't know the story of how there was a guy named Monisa was there and all of a sudden wasn't there anymore? They know. And so they're going to read this and they're looking at, at Philemon saying, what are you going to do? There's three things we see about hurt in, in this passage that I think allows us uh, to start to process. Uh, number one, we see that hurt demands our attention. Hurt demands our attention. We can cover it, we can bury it, but we can do anything, church, but forget it. Everyone has dealt with hurt on one level or another. And if you don't know this, we live in a weird time. Our culture is highly offend, offended. Like, we get offended about everything. Like, and part of that is, is social media has created this echo chamber where we, we can no longer disagree agreeably. And so now we disagree on everything. We, we, we disagree uh, on fashion or we disagree uh, on, on, um, on politics or we disagree on just life things. You know? and, and, and because we have the social media, we can almost with some level of impunity write things on social media. And if, if somebody gets too offended, we can just take them down. But the, the, the damage has already been done. And while we wish this didn't happen in the church, and we wish the church was full of a bunch of redeemed people who were always going to act like redeemed people, what is the church full of? Sinners. All right? So we're full of broken people that are not yet glorified. We're still in that process of sanctification, and we're not completely getting it right. We also have these unrealistic expectations for people that come into the church, that we're just all immediately and magically sanctified, that we're all like in this perfect condition. And that, church, that is just not going to be the case this side of heaven. The moment that the process of sanctification is done, then we see Jesus who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So while you're still alive and you're a believer in Christ, you're still being sanctified. And so Paul's writing to the church and he's encouraging them, look, I see the things that you're doing. You're doing a lot of good stuff. Does that mean we're not going to experience hurt? No. Look at verse 4. He says, I hear of your love and I hear of your faith that you have towards, towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Alexander Pope once said that to err is human but to forgive is divine. Someone once told me that this, was, that this quote was in the Bible. It's not. And when I told him that, he got offended and walked away. Go figure. <laughs> church, forgiveness is biblical. And we're going to spend the next couple weeks looking at forgiveness. Because church, let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay? If there are roots of bitterness. And look, I don't know anything. Okay? Um, the beauty of being the interim pastor is, is I hear very little. 
Okay, so when I tell people that y'all are a bunch of really great people and like, like the, ne- the pastor that gets this church is getting a church of really great people, it's because I haven't heard of any of the dumb stuff y'all have done, okay? I like that. I prefer that. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. And Satan knows that. And Satan wants to use what hurt may be within the church, the trauma between believers within the church to try to keep Fort Caroline Baptist from accomplishing its mission. When I was 16 years old, I was being mentored by a guy um, who wound up weirdly showing up at my last church on a random Sunday. Um, He caused a split in the church that that I grew up in. Uh, it was painful, and uh, the, the pastor that we had hired, um, I don't want to scare you all, but the pastor that we had hired uh, had said something to him that he didn't like, and rather than going to him uh, in, in a Matthew 18 kind of way and dealing with it, uh, he just chose to go the opposite direction and try to get him fired. Uh, and he created this root of bitterness all the way through the church. Now, at the same time, he was taking me out to lunch. He was giving me books. He was teaching me. He took me on hospital visits, was teaching me how to do uh, benevolence ministry and bereavement ministry and all these things. And I was indebted to him for the things that, that he taught me. He was preparing me to stand up here today. Uh, and, and then I watched him systematically try to tear our church apart. For years, I harbored that. As a matter of fact, it... it it affected, in a lot of ways, how I pastored. Um, I still have some of the books he gave me on the shelf. There was a time I wanted to burn them all because he had hurt me that much, and I can't imagine that anything good would come out of this guy. I tried to bury the hurt, and it just never went away. I tried to ignore it, and it would come back up, and how I responded to others. And, and when I would see people acting the way he acted, uh, I would... I I would tend to react more harshly because I had never really dealt with the hurt that came from him. Now, he wound up moving on and wound up cheating on his wife and wound up leaving the ministry altogether because he got hurt and never allowed himself to deal with it. And church, let me tell you, I'm not saying that that the way he acted uh, is going to be true in everybody's way, but if we allow bitterness to fester within us, and I used to, you know, I used to, when... My parents, who loved me, used to call me out on things I would say about him. Um, they would call me out and tell me I just need to forgive him. And I'm like, no, you know what? This bitterness keeps me warm on a cold night. Like, I'm going to fetch this. I'm never going to be like him. Much like the older brother that we looked at in, uh, uh, in, in the story of the prodigal. Because he never dealt with the bitterness that he had that root of bitterness began to grow. And as it grew, it began to ripple into other places in his life. It affected his marriage. It affected his job. It affected his psyche. It affected his relationship with the Lord. Because Satan sees that weak place in our armor, in the armor of God that we put on, that weak place that we can't cover because bitterness hurts too bad that we can't cover it. And even though we try to ignore it, even though we try to repress it, even though we try to forget it, it's there. And if we don't deal with it, then Satan is going to use that to hurt not just you, but the local church together, the church that you serve. And so Paul is going to admonish Philemon. He says, I can make you do this because I shared the gospel with you. But I'm going to beg you 
I'm going to appeal to you on behalf of Onesimus. And so Paul is going to move Philemon to deal with the hurt. And he begs Philemon to show him the same love that God had already showed Philemon. Church, you can't just forget about it. Hurt demands our attention, but it also disrupts our routines. John MacArthur once said that that a a, a, uh, failure to forgive by a Christian is a blatant and open act of disobedience, not only to the individual, but also to God. You know why? Because we want our pound of flesh. If someone hurts us, we want to see them suffer the way they have allowed us and made us to suffer. And it's hard for us to withstand repaying, uh, um, withhold repaying evil with evil. But church, vengeance isn't ours. It doesn't belong to us. Justice isn't ours. Because if justice, if, if justice were ours, then there would be no need for the cross. God says vengeance is mine, but justice is also mine. And if God is going to be completely just, and, it, and God has every right, church, God has every right to get that pound of flesh out of us. Yet he withholds it. And he put all of that justice and all that pound of flesh that he could have gotten from all of us, and he puts it squarely on the shoulders of his son Jesus on Golgotha. But hurt disrupts our routines. It, it, it knocks us off our game. I heard someone once say that it's almost like in your life when somebody hurts you, it's almost like, like the pause button is pressed on our lives. The, the normal rhythms and the routines of our lives become affected as we lay on the couch or we lay in bed or we sit in church on Sunday. And rather than, than focusing on what Christ is wanting to, to uh, display to you in the sermon or through the music, you're thinking about that hurt. You're thinking about that trauma. And it's almost like your life can't completely go on because you haven't dealt with it. Imagine... If we just hit the pause button on our lives and just never pick back up. Did you know that Michael Jordan missed the first three shots of his career? I mean, this is a guy. Now, I I understand that we have younger people in here who think that LeBron James is the greatest of all time. That's not true. (laughs) I got some of y'all in the room going, that's right, because Jerry West is the best of all time. All right, so that's a generation I just can't go to. um, But Michael Jordan is the best basketball player I've ever watched. He sunk free throws with his eyes closed. He hit game-winning jumpers in the NBA Finals. Uh, he, he made dunks from the foul line. I mean, like, like all kinds of stuff. Like He was just, you know, he, you know, he and Larry Bird are sinking, sinking shots from, like, the rafters and all that, that Pizza Hut commercial. And, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Do you know that, that what if we took Michael Jordan's career after the first three shots and we hit the pause button and then used that as the, the basis for which we judged everything on, on his career? We're like, what a bust! Man, no wonder he couldn't get recruited. That he just winds up getting recruited by Dean Smith at North Carolina. He couldn't go to any of the really, really blue chip schools, right? Man, what a train wreck that guy was. You know that Abraham Lincoln lost three quarters of the elections that he, uh, that he ran in? He, he didn't win an election uh, un, until he won for the, for the, um, for the, the Illinois Senate seat. 
which propelled him into national politics. But he won a lot, or he, he lost a lot of the local, almost all of the local elections uh, that he ran for. What, what if we hit the pause button on Abraham Lincoln's career right before the election for the Illinois Senate? No Emancipation Proclamation, no Gettysburg Address, no Ford's Theater. That may have worked out better for him. <laughs> but we, if we hit the pause button on Abraham Lincoln's career before that happened, we, he looks like a failure. Church, the problem is, is that when we hit the pause button because of hurt, we don't allow ourselves to see the victory that God wants to have in us when we deal with it. And we just let it fester. And that is what Satan wants. He wants us to be ineffective. Our world is based on second chances. So Paul's writing, he, he's, he's, he's sharing with them in verses 4 through 7. He's sharing with them about, about their love and how much he said, I love to see how you love other people and how the love that you have for Christ and for the saints. He says in, in verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us uh, for the sake of Christ. Paul knows what he's about to get into. And he knows that if, if Philemon doesn't accept Onesimus back, that they will never be effective the way that God wants them. So the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. I need you to hear me, okay? I don't want you to, to sit out there in, in, in the congregation or watching online and, and you say, this is it, just another pastor telling me to get over it that I need to get over my hurt, that I need, to, I need to let it go, Louie, you know, or whatever. I'm not doing that today. I want you to know, hear me, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to know whatever, and, and I know what you've been doing because I've been doing it too while I've been up here today. You're thinking about that hurt. You're thinking about that trauma. You're thinking about the fact that your dad never said, I love you, I love you, or that, that your, your boss never showed any care or concern for you, or your spouse that says, I don't love you anymore, I don't want to be with you anymore. And you're thinking, Pastor, how can you, you don't even know my story, how can you just tell me to get over it? I'm not saying that. I need you to hear that I validate your hurt. They should never have treated you that way. They should never have said those things about you. What I'm telling you is there is greater victory that is found in forgiveness than can ever be found in harboring that bitterness. I validate that. I validate that it's disrupted your routine, that it's what you think about. He says in verse 7, he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. He's writing to Philemon. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Can I, can, I, can I share with you something today? I understand it may not happen like right now. But if you don't allow the Lord to heal you in your hurt, you will never be able to refresh the hearts of others in Christ. Because as a defense mechanism, you're going to hold all of that in because you're, you're in a survival mode. Man, I get it. So hurt disrupts our routines. And finally today, and we're almost done, it distracts us from God's purposes. 
Satan wants us to be distracted. He wants that in this church. And he will use unforgiveness and a lack of reconciliation to, to spring up this root of bitterness in this church to distract the church from the mission. One of the oldest stories of anger and malice in all of Scripture is the story of Cain and his brother Abel. Abel was the, the, he was the child that everyone loved. Cain was kind of the black sheep. And so Cain was, Cain's feeling was so strong towards his brother that God kind of came in and intervened. And he said, he said, Cain, he said, I need you to know that sin is crouching at your door. And it will overtake you unless you master it. My fear is that some of us are like Cain. That we don't need God's help. That, that, that we, it's okay, God, I've, I've got this all on my own. I can do this all on my own. I'm a guy. That's how we, that's how we operate. Like, I don't need directions. I know where I'm going just fine. I don't need to read the instructions. I'm going I'm to build this playhouse just fine. Comes out looking like the bride of Frankenstein. So the question becomes, if hurt distracts us from God's purposes, what are God's purposes? Look at verse 4. He says, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And Paul's going to go on and he says, I, for I've derived much joy and comfort from your love. Church, when we allow ourselves to be distracted because of hurt, because of unforgiveness, because of whatever it happens to be, it doesn't allow us to fulfill God's purposes. And church, the last thing you want is for Pastor Stewart to stand on this stage and to try to lead a people that are not ready to do the purposes of God. Y'all are super quiet today. Like we, we had a real good thing going during Spocto. But church, we've all dealt with it. We've all walked through it. And we need to be in an emotional condition to be ready to take on the mission of God when your pastor gets here. And so I'm going to ask you to refresh my heart in Christ by even by praying today now, you may have heard this message and go, man, two more weeks of this, I am out. I'm out. <laughs> Please don't. Because you're, we're going to see some practical ways that we can refresh the heart of Christ by being reconciled to each other. We're going to look at what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, about who initiates it and who doesn't about how we should do it biblically, that there might be reconciliation. Now, reconciliation doesn't always mean restoration. And reconciliation doesn't mean that just because you've been reconciled in Christ that now you're best friends again. I'll give that to you. It's going to look a little bit different than that. And in some cases, that winds up being, being the case. But that's not always the case. But the goal is going to be for us is for the Lord to be able to say to us, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through us. And we see how God showed us love and care and compassion, as Romans 5, 8 says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This message series, this is for the church. It's for us to walk through together that we might be where the Lord wants us to be when your next pastor gets here. Let me pray to close us out. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, Pastor Matt's going to be back in the next steps area. If you want more information about the church, about how to grow in Christ, if you want to know about being a Christian, I'll be standing down front. I would love to have that conversation with you. Thank you all so much for being here. I beg you. I beg you, come back next week. Let's deal with this together. Let's, be, let's, let's have our hearts refreshed in Christ as we walk through this series. Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, as we prepare to, to leave this place today, May we go knowing that you love us, that you care for us, and that, God, your desire is that we would release that, that bitterness that's, that's sprung up. That, God, that, you want to use, that, that Satan desires to use that bitterness to distract the church from its mission. That, that it doesn't just affect us, but that it affects those around us as well. And that, Father, I pray that as we see the example of Paul and we see um, the admonition to Philemon, as we see Onesimus' faithfulness to go back and to offer the mea culpa to Philemon. That God, that our hearts would be refreshed as we see what biblical gospel reconciliation looks like. And that we would use that to strengthen the ties that have bound this church together. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.